All right. How's everybody doing? All right. I'm going to try to juggle. What? Fantastic? Fantastic. That's what I'm talking about. Um, one of the things uh, several weeks ago when, we, when I was really feeling this, like really I was struggling with this thing in my spirit and, and thinking about church and what we do and how we do it. And if you remember, I called a few people and I called Paul White because he's kind of outside of our sphere. And I asked him if I was crazy or if this was what he thought about it. And he said, no, because he's, I am crazy, but he, he skipped that part and went straight to the second part. So he said, well, no, he said, he's all over the country and he goes from church to church. That's just what he does. And he said, no, what you're saying is what I'm hearing from a lot of other pastors and that, um, that they're just, just looking at the way that we do church and looking at the way that church used to be and kind of how our culture has shaped it and how we may need to kind of get it back to the way it was. And so that was really heavy on my heart. And so in the process of doing that, we've been, uh, uh, a lot of the leadership here has been meeting and talking about what that looks like, and I've, I've asked you guys, you know, a few, select few of you just to see what y'all thought about. We've had conversations after church, what that looked like. Um, and one of the many things that we talked about, now there's several that are, we're going to be leading towards when we go into the new year, but getting to that place is going to be, a, it's not going to happen like that, okay? You know, it's going to take some time for us to see what that looks like, how that works, and how we can man this, and part of that is, is getting children's church back going and that kind of thing, getting volunteers and just the basics so that we can function. So once we get that, what I want to do is more things like this. Like today, uh, one of the things that we, we talked about with, I talked about with several people and what I talked about with other pastors as well, is uh, a lot of, and even me specifically when I was younger, I remember going to churches and having lots of things to say, but no real avenue to say them or questions to ask and no one to really answer them. So we're going to have several of these like today where we're going to have more of a discussion. It's not just going to be me preaching at you necessarily, although our church is a little more laid back and you guys talk anyway, whether I want you to or not. Uh, but I want to invite you to <laughs> this time and as well as on, on live stream. And I'm trying to juggle this too between live stream and you guys because there's still several people and they're on right now watching us live stream. Hey guys, internet world. Um, so we want you guys to be involved as well. Uh, David Owen says, good morning, Pure Grace Church. Good morning, David. Um, and so we're going to, one of the things especially, you know, as a youth pastor, for, oh, I'm still a youth pastor now, kind of going back into that. But for years as a youth pastor too, that was something I discovered with young people. Young people really, um, really especially young people too, need, to, need their voice to be heard. A lot of people won't listen to young people. They want to tell them what they can do, what they can't do. And they want to kind of, with good intentions, try to guide them in different directions. But, I mean, there's a lot of young people that have a lot of really good things to say that we need to listen to. And, and they haven't, many of them have not been polluted with all the responsibilities and stresses that we as adults have been, uh, been polluted with. And so they, uh, many, many, many times, over and over and over again up in that youth room, I've heard some, some kids, some young people say some amazing, powerful things that just caught me off guard. I'm like, wow, this is so good. That's so deep. Now, there's a lot of other crazy gibberish that they talk about in between. But, man, there are those times where I'm like, wow, that was so good. That was just so powerful. So in the same way, you guys carry the same Holy Spirit that I have. Just because I have a microphone doesn't make it any different. Um, you guys have, have that same Holy Spirit. You, you, I, I truly believe the Scriptures are speaking to you the same way they're speaking to me. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about it. And what I want to kind of springboard off of last week, which Lydia had a good idea, let's just talk about something throughout the week. We, I can give you guys something. I don't know if y'all saw it on Facebook, but I threw it out there a few times so you could see that we're talking about John 17. So if you haven't looked at it, we're going to talk about John 17. It's the time when Jesus prayed for himself, prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for us. Um, and I think it's something that we look over a lot of times we don't really dig that deep into. And I talked about it a little bit last week, and I really wanted to dig a little deeper into it, but I want you guys to be involved. Um, we have an extra special... Uh, Donahue host here, um, and I asked him to, to speed up his process, and I'm not sure what he's done to speed that process up, but I was like, we're going to have to be quick because we don't want to be 
doing all this, you know, too, too much anyway. So hopefully he'll be able to get to you pretty quick. So um, there's lots that I could talk about, but I want to give you an opportunity first. I want to, we don't need to read through the whole thing. We talked about it last week. If you don't, if you're not familiar with it, um, we can read through some of it. But basically it's John 17. It's going through those prayers uh, that, John, that, that Jesus was praying for himself and for his disciples and for us. We even talked about this uh, Wednesday in youth about how, you know, this is to, to us. He was praying for us in the future. Like, look, this is going to be what's happening, and I'm praying for those people that are going to believe because of what you guys are doing. So does anybody have anything from last week that they didn't get a chance to say or anything they want to add to before we just dive in? I'll just give you guys an opportunity first. If not, we can dive in. Anything? Do you all remember what we talked about last week? A little bit? Well, we'll just dive in. I want, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this one thing that I, I really thought was interesting, and I, I touched on it a little bit last week, but I want to... I want to kind of continue it. In 17.25, John 17.25, it says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you. Oh, I'm sorry. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And what, I, what stuck out to me was the no part. And just the previously we had talked about um, the parable of the, the ten virgins and, and the, the talents and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that was interesting is the, the guys that had been given the gold, the bags of gold, the talents, uh, one of the guys said, I knew that you were a hard man. And it was the same word in the Greek that's used here, meaning he really didn't know the Father. And it's the same word that's used in, I can't remember the exact place that it is, but uh, when it says, depart from me, I never knew you, it's that same no. It's a very intimate term that you know someone. So in other words, the guy that took the talents, took the gold, didn't invest it, says, I knew that you were a hard man. And it's not true. God is not hard. God is good. And so the, the issue there was that he, he really rejected the gift. He didn't trust the Father. He didn't invest it. It wasn't about him not using his gifting necessarily, and that's kind of a, what I'd been taught in the past. That, and at the end of that verse, it says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So basically, the way it sounds, if you teach it from that perspective, is that if you don't use your giftings, you're going to hell, basically, which doesn't make any sense at all, especially in the context of the, two, the other two parables right before and right after it. Um, so I, I, I love, especially going back to the Greek and seeing those, word, those terms, know, is not just like, oh, I know of someone. No, it's you, you know someone deeply. He says right here, li- listen, he says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And, that, and they know that, that you have sent me and I've made you known to them. I just love that, that God has made, that, that Jesus has made God known to man. He has reconciled us to God and he has made God known to man and also God can know us without having a sin barrier between us. So the whole thing about the sin issue being dealt with, that the sin wasn't the issue. The, the Us not having communion with God was the issue. Sin was just in the way, and God took care of that so that he could be reconciled to us. And so I love that term, just, just the term know that I know you, that we know that God is good, that we know he is a righteous father, um, that we, we know that he is loving. And I just love the terminology there that's used um, in that scripture. So what do you guys think? I mean, have you ever, have you, have you experienced that taught in a different way or been kind of, kind of confused about that at all? Y'all have to help me here. Uh, this, is, this is part of the, kind of the back and forth thing because um, I could just go on and on because I like to talk. And I don't want to do that. I want you guys to talk. Okay. Is there, I know, I, I kind of went through it fast, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to watch the time. This, time. But this, is, this is trial and error too. This is the first time we've, really done it fully like this. So, um, I mean, how, how have, you, have you gone through as far as what Jesus has prayed here and have you had some, maybe some misunderstandings about who Jesus is as Father? 
or maybe who Jesus is as God or righteous or what righteousness looks like. Um, uh, maybe I should have presented my questions a little bit better here. Um, or anything, anything else? Yes. <laughs> Help me. I'm, I'm struggling. Do you have anything? There you go. He did get faster. <laughs> I was just thinking about, it's, um, I fall under the something else. The uh, something else? The something else. All right. Um, when he was saying, oh, you're a hard man, and this is how you are. Correct him. There's a lot of times when Jesus is completely misunderstood by people, and he's okay. Yeah. Like, he gets a bad rap for a lot of stuff, and he says, right. okay. Like, it's just, it's all the time. And I feel like when people misunderstand me, I'm like, no, 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 that's not how I am. Yeah. And I have to, like, not be misunderstood. Let me, you need to understand, don't misunderstand me so fast. Yeah. Time to figure that out. Well, I think, I think that, I know for me personally, I always had a, a skewed view of God the Father because I didn't have a father figure in my life. So that, that was tough for me to reconcile. Even I mean, even to this day, I struggle with it sometimes about what father really means because I really understand that. I, I, had, I had to learn in reverse, just like I was talking about this morning, I had to learn in reverse because I'm a father now. And so now I understand how I love my kids. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's what a loving father's like. So I've kind of learned it in reverse. But back before, before that, I remember hearing people talk about God and he was always scary and he was always, um, I was always in trouble. <laughs> like it was always bad. Anytime God showed up, it was like the principal, you know, and he didn't want you to have fun and he didn't want you to do the things. And, but I never saw God as father. Um, but I do, I do think that I love how Jesus is patient too and takes his time to listen to what we have to say. I think that even going, looking at the way we do church as far as teaching goes, I think teaching is super, super important. Um, but there's something else from, a, I guess, from a pastor standpoint that there's more than just teaching. Um, teaching is important, but there's more than just teaching. There's helping people understand who they are in Christ and having new life. Because we can learn that all we want, but until that is solidified in our spirit, um, it can just be a just a biblical knowledge thing that we can feel separate from. And I've had that before. I remember trying trying to understand this whole father-son thing for years until in a moment the Holy Spirit solidified that in me. No, you are a son, right? Not just God is father to everyone, right? It was different than saying, oh, you're our father. No, you're my father. Like, it was personal to me. So I don't know if that's, that's kind of what you're talking about as far as Jesus being patient enough to actually... He, he doesn't have to just call you out. It's kind of the thing about we, we care more about being right than actually, you know, showing that we care for people. I would rather, I would rather someone know that I care for them for, than for me to prove them wrong. I don't think that gets us very far. Um, so anything else? Anybody else? And Yes, right here. Well, over there first. You're closer, so you can skip uh, over here. I, I just heard this taught really well that how important this entire chapter was to the people in that time because it really was explaining what was the big difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Like people needed to hear, I know you desired in the old days to know me and to have a relationship with me, and that wasn't what it looked like. It was laws and rules, yeah. and this was like really so important for them to hear you're going to experience me and you're going to know God because of that. So just how important that was to the God, people at that time. That gives me chills just thinking about it. I and you and you and me and we're together. He said it over and over and over again. Okay, I and you, you and me and we're together. And you're right. It was, the, it was bridging the gap from the old covenant. And even going back to the parables, 
um, about the, the virgins trimming their wicks and all this stuff. He was, he was painting a picture of the old covenant was going to be gone. If you guys aren't ready for this new, if there's, the doors are going to be shut. And people think about that as though heaven's going to be shut. That's not what he was talking about. He's saying that the way that things are happening are going to be different. There's going to be, you can't put, you know, new wine and old wine skin. You, you've got, you've, we have to move forward in this thing. And yeah, he was definitely bridging the gap between the old covenant and new covenant and showing how paramount relationship was. And I love even the very last thing he says real quick. Um, well, I just said it, that he's going to, well, he's going to continue when he says at the very end of the, of the, I may not have printed it out here, but at the very end he says, I'm going to continue to pray for them, meaning he's not stopping. It's an ongoing thing. When he says, I'll never leave you, forsake you, he's saying, I'm going to continue to go with you. So it's not just, this is a one and this is the time that I'm going to do it, although he was showing them in the real time, but also for all those that are going to believe in the future, this is, I'm going to give myself to them as well. So, did you have something? Yes, up here. Hurry, hurry, hurry. <laughs> um, the word I dealt with growing up was unwilling, that maybe God was unwilling to do things. He, he could do it. He had the power. But with the healing that I've you know, been prayed for for 25 years, sometimes the devil will be like, well, maybe God's unwilling to do it. But I know that's not true. God's good. And you think about how much compassion, you know, and he's told me he wants to heal me more than I want it. He wants to bless us more than we want it. But there's his timing is perfect. We don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think about Bill and the kids, how compassionate they are when I have a headache. And Bill will always say, I'm sorry, even though every day I have a headache. And my ex-husband was nothing like that. It was like, well, get over it. But that that's how God is. You know, every time we struggle, he's like, well, I'm sorry. I'm here. I'm here to comfort you. And there's a side of God that I've seen. Had I not had the headaches, I wouldn't see that side of mercy and compassion. And my children wouldn't have had the prayer life they do because they always prayed wow. that God would heal me in the faith. Yeah. That Bill always prays that God will, you know, that my faith will rise. And I think sometimes we just need our faith to rise that God is willing. He is good. And we don't understand it, but his timing is perfect. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because Trace, uh, well, Trace and I were talking to Trinity. She was going through a thing where... Uh, there was a question that was asked in something that she's doing right now that said, if you could think of one thing that you think is a, is a, a prominent issue in the world today, what would you say? And she asked me what I thought. And I said, I, immediately I thought empathy. So I believe it's empathy. And, and Tracy said love, which is both the same thing, but people don't really understand love. So to me, empathy expresses a little bit better to, to understand something from someone else's perspective. Um, I was that way for years with people that would say they had migraines. I would say, because I'd never had a migraine. And I would say, same thing, get over it, let's go jet ski or something, right? Like take an aspirin or something. I didn't think about it until I had a migraine. And then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> same thing with back issues. People would have back issues, and I would say the same thing, like get, like, get over it, let's go. I'm always busy doing stuff. I was like, suck it up, let's go, or whatever, until I woke up one morning, I couldn't walk, and I was in extreme pain because I had a nerve in my back that was pinched because of a bulging disc. I was like, oh, this is what they were talking about. I, I didn't know. <laughs> and, and I think part of it is understanding that that in order for us to truly care for people, and Jesus makes this so, such, I mean, it's not just a prominent message, it's who he is, that he came down so that he could see things from our perspective. He had the ultimate empathy in saying, okay, I'm going to come and see, what, see all the temptations that you have, feel all the pains that you feel, and understand who you are because I care for you. Like, that's how good he is. And that blows my mind when I, especially when I see some people that are, you know, that or, or go to church or claim to be Christian, I see them just, just beating people down, especially on the internet, man. It's just like, 
on social media, it's like you get a screen behind somebody and a keyboard and they completely change. And I'm like, why are, you know, we don't need to do that to each other. There's no reason for us to act like that. Um, but then I, I love the times when I, when I see people stand up for what's right and do actually care for other people and don't just, don't just try to fight to fight. But anyway, I think empathy is so important that, just like you're saying, that when you really understand whether you experience or not, you actually care enough to see something through someone else's perspective, I think is paramount in building relationships and sharing the gospel. Not just trying to tell someone they're wrong and that you're right. So, anybody else? Oh. So, um, I may be jumping ahead, uh, but it can't be lost on us, the, the fact that, so, when Jesus is explaining this, there, there, there had to have been, at least in Jesus' mind and God's mind, a little bit of an imperative because, you know, for how many generations had the Jews been talking and, and connecting with God in that certain way? And that's what they were used to. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus comes, and then, and then Jesus knew that in 70 AD, the temple was going to be destroyed. It wasn't going to be there anymore. And so the Jews literally had to understand, look, you need to get this now. Yeah. Because in a few years... The whole way you've always thought you were going to do things is it's not going to be there anymore. Right. So that's another thing I think even in today, I mean, that was radical back then. But even today, when when you talk to someone who is either lost or just caught up in religion or whatever it is, we have to have the patience to understand that we a lot of times are asking people to give up something they've believed their whole lives. Like if they're caught so tightly either in religion or they're caught so tightly in whatever else, you know, you, you name it, whatever it is. Any other way is what the Bible says when he, when he talks about, you know, uh, anybody that comes any other way is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not the devil. It's any other way. Um, so basically any other way but Jesus is the wrong way, is not the way to the Father. And so when you're, when you're telling people to go from any other way that they're going to this, it doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes it takes time, and that's why we preach so many times about how paramount relationship is because it's it's... It's so much easier that way because it's the way it's designed. It's the way God designed it. For us to care for people, and in the process of caring for people, you share the gospel, and it's, it's fluid. It's not like, okay, let's transition. You know what I mean? Have y'all ever been in conversations like that? Like in the back of your head, you're like, okay, I got to get them saved. I got to get them saved. I got to get them saved. But you can't, even, you can't even concentrate enough to care about somebody because you're in the back of your head. You're just trying to check something off a list. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Whoa. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Wait, she already had it. You're next. Okay. No, you first. It's just closer. You guys are too nice. <laughs> Go ahead. We have time. We're good. Like the parable of the talents and on 17 when it's Jesus. I, ca- I mean, I was a missionary for three years, so I always think about the The Great Commission. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. Sorry. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, so it says, like, O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's like with the parable of the talents, yes, he has given us 
us the gifts of prophecy, of wisdom, uh, of tongues and interpretation of tongues, all of those things. But I think the biggest thing is he gave us the gospel. Like right. We carry the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The same uh, spirit that raised Christ from the dead yeah. dwells inside of us. And so I guess I think of the, the parable of talents in the way of people. And we have God has given us probably a certain amount of people that we need to speak with. Yeah. And that's whether that be just like, I don't know, like a, a hug when they need it. Or if you're like, I don't know, walking through Walmart and you get a word, a word of knowledge or prophecy for someone. Yeah. And it changes their life and they get sent to the nations and they get to speak to what, I don't know, 50 more people. Right. Because, I mean, in, in India, every single person that I spoke to, that I preached the gospel to because that was my job, had never heard the name of Jesus. Yeah. And so I think it's actually, if you really love Jesus, and just and out of the place of love, not out of the place of, like, religion and, oh, I have to do this, but it's like, I love Jesus. He's my best friend, and he desires the nations. He desires every single person. To come to know him. And so if we love him, why would we not reach out to people? Like truly, why would we not go just go for it? Even yeah. though we look ridiculous sometimes <laughs> and we get it wrong a lot of the time, like why would we not just put ourselves out there and say like Jesus is good. Yeah. He really is God. And I agree with the, I've always said that the treasures, I don't believe the treasures are jewels necessarily. Um, but the, when we lay our crowns down, I don't, it, because I feel like if they were of value or something like they were jewels, then the whole purpose would be selfish ambition. If all we're doing this stuff is so we can get some jewels when we get to heaven, we, we know that, that gold is, is so it, it's not valuable. They pave streets with it. So we're not worried about jewels. I believe genuinely the jewels that we have in our crowns are going to be the relationships that we've made on earth that are going to carry on because we know our bodies aren't going to make it. Um, but, but I think it's the same thing you're talking about, the actual... Uh, the, the caring and loving and pouring into people, I think that's what we're going to see when we get to heaven. We're going to see not just a check off the list, but an actual person, a soul that, that, you, that you, like you were saying, has changed and has, has now been reconciled to God. And that brings joy. That just naturally brings joy. You think you, think you forgot? <laughs> oh, sorry. But, um, but just what keeps standing out to me is um, I keep hearing the word experience and that the idea that we're really only known through experiences, whether they're good or they're bad. And I, it just stuck out to me that um, it says, and we'll continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So there are two things in us. It's that love but also the spirit. And I just think when we have experiences, that love is really comforting and wonderful, especially when something is hard. Um, and when it's good, it's nice to have someone rallying for you, but it's also that spirit that's in us that gets to um, filter because sometimes experiences can cloud our vision of what mm -hmm. is reality. Right. And so having that spirit of truth that can say, you know, you're going to be healed, you know, like that's the, when I, when I'm told I'm not going to be, that's the spirit of deceit from the, you know, like, right. so just being able to filter, um, every experience we have through the love that's there, but also that spirit that's there. 
Yeah, and I, I, I think that's a really important point, too, because I think, <clears throat> unfortunately, and I don't, I hate making general, broad general generalizations like this, but in my experience, <laughs> speaking experience, um, in churches gr- growing up, in and out of churches, just, just like going in and seeing and stuff like that and hearing things, the Holy Spirit was negated in a lot of these issues, and we tried to shortcut the Holy Spirit in a lot of areas where the Holy Spirit's a big boy, and and I love the the analogy uh, that I believe Mark used to use about <clears throat> you know if you if you go through tragedy if you lose a loved one if something bad happens to you um, our immediate thought process is why why did this happen right we want to know why this happened or we see uh, a tragedy a uh, um, you know, mass shooting or something, or why did they do it? What drove them to do it? Or we see a cult and all these crazy things. Well, why? We ask these questions, why? And like I said, if, if someone passes away, we want to know why. Well, there's, there's nothing wrong with those questions, but ultimately, if God could sit down next to you and explain to you X, Y, Z, and you could fully understand it, you would feel no less loss. So in other words, just like you're talking about that Holy Spirit is a father that wraps his arms around you because that's really what we need. We don't, we, we, we do need to learn. There's nothing wrong with learning, but we need to know that there is a Holy Spirit that has us all the time. And so that there is a, a Father that, I keep wanting to get down here for some reason, but there's a Father, because I'm, I'm elevated up here, there's a Father that gets down like here with us. Like, this, this is what blows my mind, is like a Father gets down like a child. And I was even watching these guys worship with their hands up. I don't because my shirt's short and I didn't want to moon anybody, but I, I probably should wear a longer shirt so I could worship better. But, um, but I just, that's how a kid... That's how a kid looks to a, to a father. And, and a father is not concerned with anything else, is just, is just grabbing. And, I, and just the imagery of the, of the whole prodigal son loving father, of him just grabbing his son tightly and, and not caring about anything. I mean, he's running to him. And that was something else that was misinterpreted for years for me, that, that we had to find God like he was hiding from us. When God was always trying to run me down, he was always there. He, was always, he, he wants to know us. He, his, his desire, his desire of his heart is to reconcile us. Why would he go through all this trouble of sacrificing his son so he would make it complicated? It's not complicated. And so I think that when we, ha- when we have these, these really deep, longing questions, there's nothing wrong with asking them. Ask them. I mean, sometimes we're angry or we're frustrated. That's what you do with it. Like I said, I've had to learn in reverse. That's what you do. I'd rather my kids come to me frustrated or angry and talk to me than not talk to me at all, Right? And in, in any way that I can help explain, I will. But when I can't, I just grab them and I hug them. I just let them know that I'm here. And sometimes that's all. That's what we really need. And we, a lot of times we don't want to admit it. We just want to quantify it and break it down. But a lot of times all we need is just a, a loving father to get down on our level and say, I am with you. I see you. I know you. Going back to the know, I know you. Like, I'm, I know you and you know me and I'm good and I love you. So, Yes. Um, I gotta actually, get back up because I can't see. <laughs> that kind of perfectly introduced what I was about to say, but I've been thinking about that word "no" a lot, and because I think there's a difference, and I know that I was confused about it for years between knowing and then like knowing of or knowing about. Yeah. And I spent a lot of like my mid twenties trying to know God, but doing it like reading books about theology and listening to podcasts and sermons and. In my mind, I, I felt like I was chasing after him by, and doing that in terms of get, just getting more theological knowledge about him. And I mean, there's a place for good theology, obviously, but yeah. I didn't realize that I, was, I wasn't chasing God. I was chasing kind of just this knowledge. And it wasn't until 
I just stopped doing that and just sat in silence at his feet that I actually felt like I knew him in that sense that you're talking about, that deep, intimate knowledge. And I think a lot of, and I wanted to say this because I think a lot of Christians do that. They think, or like, especially baby Christians, they're like, okay, I can't really know God until I know more about him. I have to study more scripture, and I have to do this, and I have to do this and do that. And you're just checking off this checklist, but you're not chasing him. You know, you're chasing something else. And so... I, I just know my Christian life changed, my relationship changed so much with Jesus when I realized that I didn't have to be the smartest Christian in church. I didn't have to know all these big, fancy words to know God intimately. I had to just be still and sit at his feet. And then, you know, and then that's when really my relationship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit really just exploded. So, And I think the place that you're describing is... Um is the place that turns reading scripture into a, a joy and not a chore, right? So they were the same way when I first when I was first born again, <clears throat> I thought I had to play catch up because I was 20 and I was like, I don't know anything about the Bible at all. I know nothing. I don't know reaping, I don't know sowing, I don't know farming terms, I don't know anything about the Jews. <laughs> like I don't I literally thought reaping and sowing because my grandmother taught me to sow was about reaping and sowing. I didn't know. It took me years. I thought I was teaching youth. This is a total true story. I was teaching youth at our church that we used to go to, and it was mostly the pastor's kids, so they actually knew more than I did. And I was talking about Martin Luther. Or no, they were talking about Martin Luther, and I thought they were talking about Martin Luther King Jr. And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. You know, we're just talking about it. And they were like, I don't think we're talking about the same person. I was like, who are you talking about? So I know now, but back then I had no idea. But here's the thing. It, It... there were still lessons that were learned back then even, and I learned a lot too, but even that I could teach the youth that even without this extensive long list of biblical knowledge that I could share the Father's love with them in the same way. And so I think there's a, there's a, a, a point and a place when you, when you shift, like you're saying, when you really just come to Jesus' feet and realize, okay, you love me unconditionally. There's nothing I could do to earn it, not a bit more. Um, so now what? <laughs> I do, want to, I do want to know more about you so that I can show you with other people. So then I do dive deeper into Scripture. I do understand it a little bit better. Um, but it's not, like I said, it's not so much a chore. It's a joy now. Now it's like, okay, well, this just reveals more to me of how good God is. Yes. Um, just, uh, it's, it's so much about relationship. Jesus said to pray, our Father. You know, Jesus was the Son, and we've been made sons. I remember when, they, when the children of Israel first brought out of, of, of Egypt, God says, oh, goody, now. I tell you what, in three days I'm going to appear before you, come to me and get to know me, and you're going to be for me a kingdom of priests and uh, kings and priests, you know, mm-hmm. before me. And they, they like saw the lightning and the thunder and the smoke and stuff, and they shrank back. They said, no, nah, we don't want to do that. Stick somebody in the middle. Moses, you tell us whatever, they, whatever God said. Yeah. And then when Jesus accomplished what he did on the cross, you jump across to 1 Peter 2, 9, where it says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, like he said back then, Yep. A holy nation that you should show forth or declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness or like out of Egypt into his marvelous light. And so the, the whole orientation of, of the thing is relationship. It's not just that like the presence of God is here in the earth and he's everywhere and he's omni, omnipresent and stuff. But, but God says to draw near to him and he'll draw near to us. There's an intimacy. It's the greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, it's out of the loving your neighbor as, your, as yourself, 
and loving God, that, that, that evangelism, is, evangelism is a natural byproduct of that. Well, what's so beautiful about that story, too, is that's a type and shadow of the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. The difference between law and grace, and the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, and and, and the the very character of God that's displayed throughout the ages that tells us to go, to, to go to Zion is like this is is it's I don't know there's, there's a lot more there that you just said that, but it was really good. Yes, I just have so kind of take it back to your original question at the beginning when you talked about like have you had um, understanding of who God is and different things like that. So just have a a question. We may not have time to go into it. So maybe. But how do you, I guess, marry or bring together, I guess this is something that I've, I've had to work through and still working through, and then just different people I know and different the aspect of, like, I would agree with you and everything that God is a good father and everything, but there are things in Scripture, right, that talk about, like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and there's this authoritative aspect of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about, like, Ananias and Sapphira, like, that was a picture where God enacted some things that we should have a healthy view of him, I guess, in that way. But how do we, how do we bring that together? And I, I've been recently studying about like the day of the Lord and like the day of the Lord, like is something for certain people that should really be looked at in, in apprehension and fear, because if they don't choose him, right, there's going to be um, justice enacted on the earth. And so how do I, I guess, in talking to people, how do I marry all those attributes of God together, I think is what... Yeah, and that, that is a loaded question, but I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and it's a very good question. I think, um, I know that we can tackle the Ananias and Sapphira right now, but that is a good question. <laughs> but but the, the, the whole author, the, uh, authoritative, 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 however you say it, the, the authority of the Father, I think, is important, and I think the, the fear, especially in that, in that specific scripture, is a little broken translation that it's, yeah, it's more, it's more a holy reverence that we should definitely have a holy reverence. Um, and it, unfortunately, is it, the, if you do study the Greek, and which is that's why it is good and it's important to dive deeper and understand why these scriptures say these things. When you bring it from the Greek to the, to the English, we don't have all the words that they do. Um, and the Greek is really colorful language. The more you get into it, the more beautiful it is. Um, but the, the fear is more of a holy reverence. And we should, we should certainly have a holy reverence. But at the same time, when... Jesus says, when he says, I knew, when, when I discovered that I had all authority on heaven and earth, he washed his disciples' feet. So there is an authority that God has, but there is a love that God has that, that brings him to a place that he, though he has all this authority, he chooses to love us. So to me, I, I equate it to my, the only way that I can as far as a, a basic experiential thing with my kids is I'm, I'm stronger than my kids I, I, I could hurt them, I guess, if I wanted to, but I, I don't because I love them. And so, and I have no desire to. It, it doesn't matter, it, it doesn't matter that, um, huh? Well, yeah, God's not, it said it, it, he poured his wrath on Jesus. So if his, either Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient or it wasn't. So at that place, his, his wrath has been poured out now. Like I said, it is a loaded question, but to kind of springboard off of that to, to the other part that you were talking about as far as how do we reconcile, uh, oh man, I had it, hang on, the, uh, hang on, man, I just had it on the tip of my tongue, I was going to, uh, the second part, what was the other part of your, the attributes or the very character of God, you, you have to go all the way back to Genesis and see that God always, from the very beginning, he loved us and he created us in his image and he wanted to know us. And we kind of dropped the ball in that. You know what I mean? And, oh, that's where I was going with it. 
that the whole separation, like there is going to be a time, you know, if you don't accept the Lord, there is an alternative for you. We do believe in hell. There is. But to me, hell is an eternal separation from the Father. And that is hell. Like if you imagine knowing that you have a loving Father and you are eternally separated from Him, that's weeping and gnashing of teeth, in my opinion. So, yes, and that could go, we could go a little bit deeper with that too as far as heaven and hell not being some geographical location where God's placing us because I don't believe that either. I believe, man, that's good. Those are, those are very good questions, but a lot all put together. So I think that when, huh? Well, we'll certainly find out. <laughs> but I believe, I believe because, because of the love the Father has for us that's backed up in so many different scriptures, that even the ones that we look at that were very, very, uh, that show God's wrath, especially in the Old Covenant, that show uh, the justice of God. And I believe Paul White did a really good job of, of helping clarify what that looks like too. When we see the justice of God, it, it is always he desires mercy. He is a merciful God and he desires mercy and he's patient and he's loving. And all those attributes are part of who he is. It doesn't take away his strength. He is powerful. It doesn't take away his authority. He can do what he wants. He totally can he chooses to love us and he chooses to sacrifice himself for us because we couldn't hold up our end of the bargain. And so when, when we look at that type of character, to me, it, to me it, it solidifies the holy reverence I have is because of, of how low he made himself. So my reverence now is like, when, if you ever see me just crying up here, it's because of that. It's because of how crappy I am, you know, in my history and the things that I've done and that the, the God that built the universe takes the time to know me. You know what I mean? Like, takes the time to care, and you, not just me, but takes the time to get to know us, like we're talking about here. So I think when you try to reconcile the character of God throughout the whole Bible, you have to go all the way through. You can't stop at Ananias and Sapphira or some of these other ones. And there are some places where his wrath is poured out and people died, um, and we have to also understand that death isn't the end. So there's, there's, other, there's other things at play there. But you have to look at it as, as the big picture. Because the, the character of God from beginning to end has been for us. I mean, it, it, there's no other way for it to be. We wouldn't even be here. You know what I mean? So I hope that helped a little bit. But, that, but there's, there, I want to talk more about it because there's a lot more there. Even going back, I want to really dive in, and maybe I will dive into the Ananias and Sapphira thing pretty soon. But, but yes, Bill. So a part of it could be summed up as free will. Oh, yeah. I mean, God's a gentleman, so he's not going to – it would be kind of pointless to force us to love him. You know, and, and he has angels those, to do that those, exa- Well, exactly. And those who are separated from God, it's not like, I mean, they're choosing that. You know, and he's, he's, he's made it abundantly clear throughout the universe that he's there and that he loves us. And then Jesus came and explained it even more. Yeah. And so if you're going to reject him, you're going to reject him. He's not going to force you to love him. What would be the point of that? Right. And you have to try. I mean, you have to, you have to try to refuse God. He says clearly, you can go outside and see God created all this stuff. There's no doubt. Um, and you have to fight and argue and, and dig your heels in to not. Um, one thing I do want to say that goes along with that, too, is we do have free will. And there's a story I'm probably about to butcher. It was told much better to me, I'm sure. Um, but it was a story. It was, it was someone asked. Uh, it, was a, it was a missionary, actually. It asked this pastor. Um, he had seen a, a missionary over there that he was told to denounce God or they were going to shoot him. And he didn't, and they killed him. And he asked this pastor, he said, why didn't God stop that man from pulling the trigger and protect his son? Which is a legitimate question. And the pastor responded, like I said, I'm sorry, I'll probably butcher this. Maybe I'll find it and share it with you because he said it better than I, than I probably will. But basically he said, 
that would not be a loving God because you would have no choice. Their love doesn't exist without us having a choice. If, if everything was, was down to a T and God controlled all those little things, then we would not be involved in this at all. How would we co-labor at all? If we had no choice, love would really wouldn't exist. We would be just like the angels. We'd worship him day and night, and we would do whatever we needed to do because we wouldn't have a choice. But free will in and of itself creates in us a real love. We have a choice to care for people. Uh, another great analogy is the whole shopping cart thing that, that describes grace the best. You have no legal obligation to put the shopping cart back, <laughs> right? None of us do. You get no reward. No one really cares if you don't necessarily. But it's one of those things. <laughs> We're not going to go that far. <laughs> Let's stick to my analogy. You're messing it up, Bill. Zero-sum game. All right, so, so in other words... You do, you do, what do you do when no one's looking, I guess, is another way to put it. What are you going to do when no one's looking? Do you, do you care enough? Do you really have, do you really understand the character of God enough to, to just do what you do? That's, that's grace. That's understanding that we are, we are loved and we can do these things without having people to always draw boundaries. That's maturity, too. Amen. When you don't have all these boundaries drawn around you and you're like, you can do whatever you want, and you're like, okay, well, that's scary at first. And then, obviously, you see... All the things that God warns us about are because he loves us. It's not because he doesn't want us to enjoy life. He is life. He is joy. He's made of the stuff. And so from that place, we recognize, okay, well, now I have true freedom. What an amazing gift. I can do what I want, but now, now I can feel what it's like to do good things without being, without being out of fear or obligation or thinking that God's going to be angry at me if I don't. That's, a, that's an incredible place to be. It's a very freeing place to be. It's constantly what I'm trying to tell, to help the youth understand that they, that that is a freeing thing to not have to be concerned with, and that's what a lot of youth go through because I did is peers, not having to always be concerned with whatever everyone else how they value you, or if they like you, especially in social media now, if they like you or they care, whatever heart or whatever like whatever you do on your social media, but knowing that your Father in heaven loves you and your identity is found in Him and you're known, and he's in you, and you and him. And then from that place, it's cool if you, you can be the, the one everybody invites to the barbecue because you're fun, <laughs> right? You're not, trying to, you're not trying to take. That's why relationships are so much more healthy from a Christian perspective because you're not trying to take from people all the time as far as in a relationship goes. You're actually seeking to give. That's what God does. God changes us from trying to take from people so that we can fill this, this bucket up. He gives us all the fullness, and then we just give to everybody else, right? So, all right, we're a little bit over, and I don't want to run Buddy Ragged up there. Can I so. do one last thing? Yes, one last okay. thing. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I guess it, like, I was trying to say this a little bit earlier, but you kind of, it's all been on the same theme. It's just like knowing God is a paradox. Like everything about knowing God and living life with him does not make sense. <laughs> because it would be so much easier if he made everything perfect the first time. And if there was no opportunity for error or mistake. Um, but if he had done that, then we'd be nothing more than like a toy in a kid's hands or a cog in a machine. Right. And that's control. Um, and if you want to really know somebody and have something that lasts and have somebody who cares for you and who you can care for without reservation, then there has to be a choice. Yeah. Um, and the section in uh, chapter 17 that stuck out to me, I think the most, was when he's praying for his disciples. And this is, let me see, he, he prays for them and he's like, you know, thank you, God, that you've put them in my hands and that I've been able to, to teach them and show who you are. And um, let me see, in verse 
14, we see, I've given, your, I've given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world, that you'd protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And that word sanctify, um, in the back of my Bible, it um, defines it as basically um, progressively becoming more and more like the character of Jesus. And just the action of, of being made holy and righteous, but not just being made holy and righteous, but being made like Jesus is, was and is. And that at this point, he knows everything that the disciples are going to go through. He knows the ways that they're going to die. He knows all the pain that they're going to go through. He doesn't pray for them to be taken out of it because otherwise they'd never know the true worth of what they had. Yeah. And all of these people would never, like none of us would be here. Right. We'd, we'd never know God <laughs> the way that we do now. We'd never know him in such a personal way. I mean, maybe there would have been other ways because, you know, power of Jesus and everything. Well, but um, that in pain that there's something that's worth far more than, than that. And it's, there's a, there's a legacy, I guess, that goes with it, that you have to have faith in all these things that you may never see or live to see or live to know. And just know that every action that you, that you have, every choice that you make to love God and to love others well, is hoping that something bigger than yourself is going to come. Yeah. And I love the, just the history. I just, I look around the room and I know some of you guys I haven't known for a long time, and some of you guys I've known for a really long time. And I just love seeing the history and seeing the, the points and the discussions and the different things that we've talked about and different things like that. And you guys, um, and through your lives, to me, those are all treasures. I mean, those are, those are worth more than any amount of money or any gold or anything else is knowing that I have just been a part. And I always say, I just want to, I'm just glad to be in the room. Like, I don't need to be, even if I wasn't up here, I would just be glad to be in the room to witness what the Lord does in people's lives um, and just be a part of that. And it's, such, it's just such an amazing thing. And we, and like you said, we get, to, we get to be involved in it. Like, we get to be a part of it. And that's, to me, that's real love, saying you get to be a part of what I'm doing, not just do it because I'm telling you to do it, but I'm also going to demonstrate to you, like I said, when he went down and started washing feet, I'm going to show you what true power and authority looks like. I, I can do whatever I want. When Jesus said that, I, I, he said, I have all authority on heaven and earth. And then he sits down and he washes his disciples' feet. What a huge contrast of what a kingdom looks like. And especially back then, kingdoms didn't look like that. The lowest of the low washed feet. So for him to say, this is what my kingdom's like. My kingdom's like this. I have all power and all authority, but I choose to serve. So one real quick, Nancy Bishop said a little sidestep. I, I meant to... I, not good at juggling this, and then we need to wrap up. A little sidestep in the New Living Translation, verse 26 says, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Uh, we know the Father by Jesus being his ex expressed image, yet we know him in part. It, it touches me because he, continue, he continually uh, reveals the Father and his love for us. So he doesn't stop. He says, just like I pray for my disciples, my prayer is not for them alone. It's also for you. And then at the very end he says, and I will continue to pray for you. So he's continually making intercession. He's constantly praying for us. And so he, when we doubt, when we have frustrations, when we have struggles, we don't understand, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself known to you. You're going to be known, and you're going to know me. And I, don't stress about it because I'm going to continue to do that. The Holy Spirit is going to continue to remind you day in, day out, moment by moment. All right, stand with me. We're going to pray. 
But Father, we just uh, we thank you that you have made yourself known, Lord. Uh, and not only that, you have invited us to be a part of it. Not that, you know, uh, the whole world's going to fall apart if we don't do something. <laughs> but because you love us so much, you want us to experience the joy that you give us. You want us to experience the joy in seeing someone's life changed. Life changed. You want us to see uh, someone be restored, their marriage restored, or their finances restored, or just their life restored, Lord, that's been, that's been deceived, um, or that's been tried to take, that's been, that has been attempted to be taken from them. I can't speak. And so, Father, I just, uh, I thank you that you, you just paint a new picture for us. Lord, you, you slowly and patiently show us mercy. And though you have all authority and all power, you are not weak by any means, but you are meek because you have power under control. Lord, you have the mightiest sword, but you choose to put it in its sheath so that you can love us and demonstrate to us a sacrificial love so that we can love those that are around us. Lord, help us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.